Orthodox Journey. A missionary activity of the Greek Orthodox Christian Society, working under the Greek Orthodox Archdiocese of Australia, presents Ascending the Ladder, a series on St. John Climacus's Ladder of Divine Ascent. Ascending the Ladder seeks to explore the spiritual gems found in this traditional Lenten reading. Welcome to another episode of Ascending the Ladder, our Lenten series exploring the Ladder of Divine Ascent by St. John Climacus. So for this episode, I'm joined by Yangus, and we'll be discussing steps 14 to 17 of the ladder, focusing on gluttony, chastity, avarice, and poverty. So before we start, I'd like to introduce our guest. Yangus is a member of the Greek Orthodox Christian Society, and is very active in the many missionary activities which it conducts, including Sunday schools, teenage youth fellowships, and much more. He's also a PhD candidate in the area of medical science. And on behalf of the production team for this series, welcome. Thank you, Nicholas. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. So let's get straight into it. Our production team has prepared a few questions for us to discuss. And this first question relates to the Sunday that this episode is being released, which is the Sunday of St. John Climacus, on, which is the fourth Sunday of Lent. And so the question asks, could you please elaborate on the symbolism found in the ladder of divine ascent, especially the symbol of the ladder, and share any insights that you have on the ladder? Thank you. That's a nice, nice question to start off with. Um, and I guess, I guess the ladder is an image that everybody can relate and understand. Um, and what's most striking about the ladder is that 
every step or every rung of the ladder comes in a specific sequence. You can't, you can't jump to the top of the ladder before climbing up the first few. Um, and it's the same with the ladder of divine ascent. It's not just a compilation of 30 passions and virtues for us to try and learn from, but it's a stepwise progression in the spiritual life, starting from step one, which is renunciation of the world, um, which is ultimately the first step that we need to undertake before we can start to progress in the spiritual life. And, and St. John Climacus has beautifully articulated the spiritual life in, the, in these 30 steps um, in this stepwise progression. And the, and the sequence that he does it is actually quite impressive and very beneficial for us to learn from. Um, because we can't, we can't talk about the higher virtues of humility, um, purity, um, uh, meekness, discernment, prayer, um, and the highest of all of them, the sublime virtues of faith, hope, and love. We can't talk about these virtues if we haven't first conquered, firstly, a worldly mindset, which is step one, but then also other passions such as anger, lying, and avarice, which these things which hinder us from achieving these higher virtues. No, thank you, Yango. And I just have a little bit to add, possibly on the, just going back to the question, because they were asking if there was anything that we could elaborate on about the symbol of the ladder. So just from a symbolic point of view, thinking about it, the ladder, it represents Christ, represent, represents our church, and it also represents the Theotokos. And if you think about it, Christ is represented by the ladder because he, like the ladder of divine ascent, united heaven and earth. He was God and man, heaven, heavenly and divine, but also earthly and human. And the very existence of the ladder is because of Christ. And to quote St. Athanasios, God became man so that man might become God by grace. And the latter and Christ both allow humanity to become united with God. And for that reason, we can see that Christ is the latter. And St. Irenaeus of Lyon explains how it extends to the church. He called the church the ladder of ascent to God in one of his works against heresy. And similarly, similarly to Christ, our church is both earthly and heavenly. And through the church, through this spiritual hospital, people struggling spiritually can be raised up through God's grace to the heavens. And then finally, the Theotokos. This is something that we see in the hymnology of our church something that we experience quite a bit during Lent, during the salutation services, the heretismi, as we say in Greek. And one of the lines, one of those salutations says, Rejoice heavenly ladder by which God came down. And so through giving birth to Christ, the Theotokos Panagia united earth and heaven and enabled us to ascend the ladder in the way that just by giving birth to Christ. And just in terms of its symbolism, again, we can also see that the ladder, it's something that's very biblical. 
we hear about the story of Jacob's ladder in chapter 28 of Genesis, where Jacob was sleeping and saw a vision of a ladder with angels ascending and descending from heaven to earth and vice versa. And it's something that the fathers also mention. We've already mentioned St. Irenaeus of Lyon, but also St. Gregory the Theologian, St. John Chrysostom, St. Gregory of Nyssa, all of them talk about the ladder as a means of reaching God, as a means of reaching heaven. And it's all focused on ascent, rising from earth towards heaven. We have in the Psalms hymns of ascent. It's meant to spiritually raise us. And so for St. Gregory of Nyssa, he talked about Moses climbing the mountain in his life of Moses. And for St. John Climacus, the imagery that he's using is the ladder. And practically, the ladder is something that it's useful for us to think of our spiritual life as climbing a ladder. It requires effort to climb a ladder. It's not like a bridge, for instance, where you can just simply walk across it. You have to go very slowly up a ladder. It doesn't happen instantly. You have to be attentive to the steps. You can't not pay attention, otherwise you'll fall down. And we see that also in the iconography of the ladder. You see on the icons, the monks who are climbing the ladder and you see the, the demons, the spirits of the air, because after all, the ladder passes through the air, trying to pull them down. So it requires a lot of attentiveness. And yet, also, a ladder requires somewhere very stable to lean on. You can't have an insecure ladder, otherwise it will all collapse. And yet our ladder, the church, it's all founded on Christ. The rock of faith. And so that's why it's very useful for us to imagine our spiritual ascent as a ladder. Did you have any further thoughts on the question no thank you for adding a more patristic um, and theological um, basis to that question and i think that that sets us up nicely for the next question no, okay so next question focuses on some of those steps that we were going to discuss tonight so saint john spends a lot more time discussing steps 14 and 15, gluttony and chastity, than he does steps 16 and 17, avarice and poverty. If you look in the, in the book, for instance, those two steps are basically one or two pages max. Whereas gluttony and chastity, they're quite a bit longer. There's a lot more to them. And so... There's that, but also our team has asked, what does it mean to be chaste today and why is it so important? Yeah, I think let's, I'll start with the first, the second question, sorry. Um, um, and, and of course, of course it's important. Every step of the ladder is, is important. Um, none of them are non-relevant to us. Even though we say it's written from monastics, we can learn something from each of the steps. Um, but why, why is purity important and why is it important today? Um, 
I guess here we're talking about the spiritual life and the spiritual struggle um, and ascending this ladder. Um, and, and as you said, this requires effort. This requires, um, it's, it's a ladder, it's not a bridge. It needs hard work. It needs attention, it needs vigilance, it needs a lot of care. Um, and especially in this struggle for purity that we're talking about in this step. Um, and, and in order to do this, like you said, we need to lean on the rock of faith. We need the grace of God to help us in this struggle um, to, to acquire an, an, a, a heart that is pure. We can't do it alone, and especially today where the temptations are so strong. Um, but when, when a person does have a heart that is pure and clean, or I guess at least struggling to acquire a pure heart, then this is what attracts the grace of God in our lives. Um, as St. John in the latter, he says that, that the pure heart is a longed-for house of Christ. Christ longs, uh, Christ wants to be and to make his dwelling in a heart that is pure. And, and what comes to mind is a story that St. Paisio says, um, that he one day he was sitting at his, at, at his, um, at his keli and um, as, as he would every day, see hundreds of pilgrims come to ask him for advice and talk to him. There was one, there was one man who he saw from a far distance approaching his cell, and this man was shining, sort of a light emitting from this, from this young man. And as he drew, drew closer, he could smell a fragrance coming from this young man. And he, and he was, St. Paisius was amazed and said, how can a young person today have so much holiness, have such grace of God? Um, and when this man came to him and to speak to him, St. Paisius asked him about his life. Um, and eventually the young man told him a story that had happened to him a year ago. This young man was traveling to Dinos on, on a pilgrimage to, to venerate the holy icon of Panagia on the island. Um, and as he was, as he was traveling to the church, um, a, a few young women approached him and tried to tempt him to, to sin with them. Um, and he was so, he, in a way, like, like the Joseph of the Old Testament, he ran away from them and said, how can I do this in the sight of God? Um, and he ran away um, and he continued on his pilgrimage. And that night he said to St. Paisios, when he went back to his room to say his evening prayers, the, the Compline service, um, he said that as he was praying, it was as if the roof disappeared and his light, his, his whole room was flooded with, with the uncreated light. Um, just from this one heroic act of purity, um, he attracted the grace of God. And, and, and St. Paisios, when he said this story, was saying, look, even a year later after this, this event had happened, how this young man was still fragrant and shining with the grace of God from this one act of bravery um, and purity. Um, and as St. Paisius finishes this story, he reflects, a young person who manages to attain purity of heart today will be crowned greater than the great desert martyrs of the early Christian, um, of the early Christian period. Um, you can see with what emphasis St. Paisios places purity in a young person in today's challenging generation. Um, so that's why it's, it's more relevant today more than ever. And, and the Desert Fathers in the Gerondikon also talk about this. It's written that some of them were, were sitting around talking about the end times. And as they were reflecting, one of them um, stood up and said, there will be a time when those who have purity of heart will be considered equal to the martyrs. 
So look at with what reverence and what admiration all of the saints of our church have for those who maintain a pure heart. Um, and, and, and I guess, you know, it's hard for us to reflect on what previous generations were like, but you, you, we can only dare and, 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 and say that maybe today it is, it is more difficult to maintain a degree of purity in our lives, those of us who are living in the world, because of the extra uh, provocations of, of that we're, we're tempted with social media and technology um, and the general state of humanity, I guess, in, in the 21st century. Um, so it is challenging, it's difficult, it needs hard work. Um, and, and even St. Paul talks about this when he says, I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind. And also in uh, St. Paul says, for we do not fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities, dominions, and so on. Um, so, so yes, it's difficult, but it's a struggle that we need to fight, um, especially young people who are struggling to fight and to preserve a, a pure heart. Um, why? And St. John talks about this, that we're struggling against our fallen human nature. So we're struggling against what we would say is natural. So that's why it needs this hard work, but it needs also the grace of God. And, and St. John Cassian, um, who talks a lot about purity, he says, we should be aware that in this warfare, great assistance is afforded to the struggle for purity. And elsewhere, he says, the goal of our life as Christians is the kingdom of God, but our immediate purpose, that is our aim, is purity of heart. Um, and and St. Saint, Saint John Climacus, in his characteristic way, he ends the chapter on, on chastity or purity um, in, in a beautiful way where he personifies the demon of fornication um, as if the, the demon is speaking to us. Um, and and, and the, this demon, as he person, personifies it, um, confesses the strategy to defeat him and how to acquire purity of heart. And he says four things that are, I think are really important in the struggle. If you clearly know the profound weakness, which is in both you and me, you have bound my hands. So it's like the demon here is talking in first person. And secondly, if you starve your appetite, you have bound my feet from going further. And I guess that's why St. John brings gluttony before purity, because we first need to struggle and, and, and draw grace through fasting and our ascetical struggle before we can start to acquire purity. Um, then St. John says, if you take the yoke of obedience, you have thrown off my yoke. And if you obtain humility, you have cut off my head. No, that's um, very special words. And yeah, I don't know if I have too much to add to this question, but I think we might focus on gluttony because I think you've focused a bit more on chastity and purity. And you spoke about how the latter is addressed to monastics and it is worth remembering that context. This was written for the monks of the Raithu monastery. It was a very good monastery. It was a Kenobitic monastery where all of the monks lived together, ate together, did everything together. And so from that perspective, it might be said that where you're all living together, sharing the same possessions, having that avarice 
and poverty isn't as much of a challenge as say gluttony and chastity. So maybe that's why, and I'm just speculating here, but maybe that is why those chapters are a little shorter because St. John as a good spiritual father is addressing the problems of the monks that have been brought to him. But at the same time, it's possible that gluttony also is more of a problem in our world than it used to be. I mean, just thinking back to a story that my grandfather said from his time in, on his island in Castellorizo, he said that for his birthday, he used to get a piece of baklava. I can't remember whether it was his birthday or a name day or something, but that was his present. Nowadays, things like that, you can just walk up to a store, a few kilometers or whatever, and just buy a whole tray of it. We, I think with all of the luxuries that the modern world provides, with all of the benefits that it provides, it also provides a few more temptations. And we can see that in how our society treats its food. Again, thinking back to earlier times, thinking back to, say, our grandparents' generation, say, post-war, they didn't go out to eat as much. It wasn't something that people did. And the thought of having food delivered to your house would have been shocking to them. Whereas nowadays, there are apps, uh, you get your food in half an hour you can have whatever you want and it shows just how gluttony can go very far in leading us to build up our own self-will how we can by choosing what we want rather than what the rest of the household is having it encourages our pride it encourages us to think more of ourselves to prioritize ourselves rather than other things. So that's just a few points I had on gluttony and just reflecting on what you said about purity. St. John, I, I, he has a very good quote about purity sort of towards the start of the chapter. And he says that purity means that we put on the angelic nature. Purity is the longed-for house of Christ and the earthly heaven of the heart. Purity is a supernatural denial of nature. And I think that's what a lot of these chapters, this part of the latter is getting at. Denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following Christ. So that's all I had. Any further thoughts from you, Yangu? Yeah, no, thank you for that, because um, that last point really hits an nail on the head um and and as you were reflecting on i guess our grandparents and our great-grandparents who lived through poverty and and war and, and so on and migration i guess it was much easier for them this concept of take up your your cross and follow me and deny yourselves um whereas we who are very privileged um with with food and all material things i guess make it much easier much more difficult to struggle in fasting um, true fasting in 
in purity and chastity and, and, and the, the next steps, I guess, which we're going to discuss now on poverty. Agreed, agreed. And those other things that you were saying about how much easier it was for them to struggle, it also means that we have to have a greater degree of self-control. We have to, again, use force. St. John refers to having to use force to take that I to, to take purity. That's right. But at the same time, we should have hope. We have God with us. It's not all lost. God will help us if we genuinely want that help. That's right. And it's not impossible because we have saints of today's generation who have who have achieved these aims. So it's not exactly. Impossible. Exactly. And we have everything it takes. We have all the right resources and support of spiritual fathers of church and so on that can support us in this in this struggle precisely so moving on to our final question our production team asks saint john states that he who is bound by avarice never attains to pure prayer and so can you maybe explain this connection between avarice or greed and someone's prayer life yeah that's that's a difficult question um and and it, it doesn't seem so intuitive that you're you're right how the, the link between avarice and pure prayer um i guess the emphasis is on the pure prayer um because anyone can pray or think that they're praying but what do we mean here by pure prayer um is is the important thing um, but i guess before we get there it's important to understand that avarice, avarice is important for is is relevant for monastics who who struggle to acquire a state of non-possessiveness and to renounce all aspects of the world. Um, but then the question is: We who live in the world, who need to earn a salary, um, who need to concern ourselves with our possessions in inverted commas. Um, how then do we put away with this? And then th does this then hinder us from pure prayer if we're living in the world and have to concern ourselves with, um, with things of the world, such as our jobs, our families, and other material things? Um, but then the fundamental question for us to ask ourselves deep down and to reflect deeply on is, have I given my heart away to these possessions, in inverted commas? Um, because yes, I need to work, I need to have a job, I need to put food on, on, on my family's table, um, and probably we need a car to get around. Um, but have I sold my heart to these possessions? And have I sold my heart to these things of the world? Um, have I sold my heart to a love for money, or a desire for wealth, or a desire for high positions? Because if I have, and, and, I, and, I, and I dilute the, the love of my heart or the enthusiasm or the zeal of my heart to things of this world, to material things, then how then can I possibly devote quality and pure time um, to God in prayer? Um, because in, when, when I dilute and I, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I lose that concentrated zeal that I have, when I have that simplicity of not concerning myself or not giving my heart away to material things, such as my work or my car or, 
or, or acquiring wealth or acquiring high positions in society, um, then, then I concentrate my love, I concentrate my zeal and my energy towards God and God remains as my first priority. So what's important for us to understand is that it's not that we can't do these things. It's not that we can't work or working is bad um, or earning a salary is bad, um, but rather I need to acknowledge that, yes, yes, I'm weak and that, yes, this is a temptation and these things can easily steal from my heart. Um, but if I acknowledge my dependence before God, then I concentrate the love of my heart towards God. And then God remains as the number one priority in my life. And then I can pray. I can have pure prayer and undistracted prayer, which, of course, is extremely difficult um, in, in when, when we're living in the world. Um, but th this is what we who live in society are called to do, to, yes, to, to serve and to follow our calling, whatever that may be, um, but at the same time to not let the desires of the world and the pressures of society um, and wealth and riches steal away from our heart, um, but to have as our number one priority God. And then as, as Christ himself said, then everything else will fall into place. No, thank you, Yangle. That's all very true and I cannot agree more. But I think it's also worth remembering that the purpose of prayer is communion with God. And it, we see many instances in Christ's ministry of how we can't pursue both God and material possessions. Christ says that you cannot love both God and mammon. And we see the example of the rich young man who was perfect in all things, except, except he was attached to his possessions. He was ready to follow Christ, but Christ asked him to sell all that he had to follow him. And then Christ concludes that, that scene by saying that it is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to get into heaven and it's very confronting when we think about how attached we are to our material possessions to think of that and then thinking ahead at least at the time of our recording to holy week we see judas who himself is brought down by the passion of avarice we can see how it was this passion that led the devil to enter him according to the gospel of john and how it was this passion for 30 silver pieces that led him to sell Christ to the Pharisees, to betray him. And through that, and also through other stories, the Bible is very clear that the result of greed is spiritual death. Look at Judas. Look at Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts, both of whom held back their material possessions from the church because they were so attached to the things of this world. And while they died physically, we can also see through their story that we too might experience spiritual death if we do not have that spirit of poverty that we're called to have. And that's the solution. To have that spirit of poverty means to not treat our material possessions as though they're everything 
and it allows us to use what we have to to pursue virtue we can engage in acts of charity we can become poor in spirit and all of these benefit us in our prayer and our spiritual path and can help us to attain that pure prayer and that's why saint john climacus places poverty after the passion of avipurus and we can see the results of it as saint john climacus says poverty is a resignation from care and a life without anxiety and to pray without anxiety that is pure prayer because anxiety is a lack of trust it's an instability whereas if our prayer is founded upon god directed to god purely that is pure prayer but at the same time we cannot achieve this without prayer and so they go hand in hand we need one to get the other and that's all i had did you have anything else to add any final thoughts for this episode no i agree 100 percent um i'll just thank you and and the team for putting these podcasts together um because this it's such a such a perfect opportunity great and holy lent to start to um renew our spiritual struggle and take seriously um, this struggle and, and the church provides us with the most beautiful atmosphere and opportunity to do this during lent with everything that he offers us you know the daily services um opportunities for holy confession and repentance um it's 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 the and and the, the ladder of divine ascent is a beautiful book to read so that we can really start to think deeply about um our spiritual lives and where we are who we are um and I speak firstly um, to myself because we, when we're living in the world and we're faced with so many challenges and temptations, um, we need these wake-up calls to get ourselves back on track and to and to and to achieve what we were created for, and that is likeness with God um, and communion with God, as as you said earlier. So thank you again to you and the whole team, Nicholas. No, no. Likewise, I, I definitely need that as well, and. Thank you again for joining us, Yango, for this episode and also to our audience who joined us. That concludes this episode of Ascending the Ladder. Please tune in for future episodes covering the next steps of the ladder. Yeah,
hope you've enjoyed this edition of Orthodox Journey. To keep up to date with our podcasts, subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or head to orthodoxjourney.com where you can find even more Orthodox talks, sermons and podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram and view more content on the Greek Orthodox Christian Society YouTube channel.